All right, good morning uh, to you, because this is Faith Over Breakfast, but for us, this it is uh, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. This is an abnormal uh, Faith Over lunchtime with no food. And Eric's not here. This is Andy from Mission Church in Tucson, Arizona. I got two of my good friends from Mission. Uh, John Simon. Yep, right here. And I've got Dr. James Dill. Hey, y'all. And uh, we are we're talking. Uh, we're going into this uh, Rachel Box story because uh, James here has a, a an experience. He has background of living uh, in Africa and doing short term missions, but he's also uh, become an NMD, and he is uh, he kind of a unique uh, ability to speak into this. So I, I thought it was a good discussion. We uh, we talked about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Tell them what we talked about, John. Um, you guys just really in for a treat, you know. I just, I, I don't want to spoil anything. I, I think the anticipation should just build naturally. All right, don't, don't check out. If you want to get our most uh, raw thoughts, stick around till the last few seconds. So, enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. All right, this is a, this is a special edition. Uh, because we are not, we're not meeting on a Tuesday. We're not meeting in the morning. Uh, we're not having faith over breakfast at all. In fact, this is a part two of potentially the last podcast you heard, uh, where Eric and I were talking about the, uh, especially the the white privilege. We talked about the white savior complex, and this kind of came out of an article that I shared with Eric. It had to do with a, a missionary who was accused of having a white savior complex uh, who's been in the news uh, recently, Rachel Bach. So um, today, uh, this is uh, – there are two people here. Eric is not – he's not available today, uh, so I've got two people here. I wanted to follow up on this conversation about Rachel um, from a different perspective, um, and I've got John Simon. Medical professional. Medical professional, doctor, the Dr. John Simon. Dr. John Simon, hey, John, happy to be here. John is, a, John is a member and staff member these days at Mission Church uh, with me, and mm-hmm. uh, he and I are normally having breakfast with Nick, our co-pastor, right now. Yep. Nick's gone, or no, lunch, we would normally be having, and so we were available, and we got our buddy James Dill. Hi, how's everybody doing? We're doing well. Thank no, you. Yeah, and everybody yeah. else Everyone is responding to you. Let's give them a second to respond. I know to they're, they're out there. They're yeah. happy. And, uh, and James, uh, and you can, correct, you can correct me on this, but James, the, the reason I wanted to talk to you, James, is because of your background in missions. You've done short-term missions. Uh, you've, done, you've lived in Africa uh, with your family. There, so you have a, a missions background that has some similarity to to the, the subject of these articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went to to school to become a, a medical doctor. So, and you're doing sports medicine at the right. University of Arizona right now. Yeah, so and I you did, did pediatrics for a bit before this. Right, yeah, I did a combined residency. So I lost my mind and I did two residencies at the same time. So I did emergency medicine and uh, pediatrics both. Yeah. And then finished those last year and I'm doing a sports medicine fellowship at University of Arizona. Yeah, so so I just thought, you know, I, how how many people doing a podcast on this have at their disposal somebody who can relate to mm-hmm. both sides of this very very debate? So, yeah. uh, first off, just to just to kick it away from you for a second, I, I want to know I want to know what John Simon uh, mm-hmm. thinks. Like, what what did what's your takeaway? What questions do you have for for a guy like 
you know, Doctor Dill. Dr. We're not used to. Dill. We're not used to saying that because we're we're friends. They just say mm. that guy over there. That guy <laughs> over there. Um, but but yeah, what when you read and saw stuff about you know NPR covered a lot of different um, news organizations covered uh, this this missionary and the 105 children that died mm-hmm. under her organization's care in Uganda uh, over however over over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but how, you know, what's your response to this, and what what were you wrestling with as somebody who's not in the medical field? Yeah, no, that's that's a wonderful question. I think that I so NPR, and we kind of discussed this in the Facebook um, comment section when you posted this, was that you know, and we there are some people who are concerned that NPR is going to have more of a uh, more like kind of left. Um, I'm instructing oh John on his mic. <laughs> John, um, don't talk of, into the top of your mic. I'm sorry. I think yeah, I think yeah. I'm good now, aren't I? You're better. All right, I'm better. All right, sorry about that, guys. Um, hundred people just like, man, can't even hear this guy. <laughs> just we lost him. Um, yeah, <laughs> and Eric doesn't podcast. edit this podcast, so <laughs> yeah. you're gonna hear it all. Um, no, I feel like a big accusation that because um, I remember the last time I remember a uh, a story blowing up this big like in a mainstream story was the uh the young dude from california john, john chow yeah yep. uh north sentinel islands north, north of uh, india north sentinel okay. island that's yeah. right that's and right. eric and i did discuss that on this podcast right as well yeah that's um, the most recent and so wh- um, american missionary not white but american missionary story yeah. right and it seems like a big narrative that people that that especially like uh you know i guess Christians tend to gloss over it and romanticize these stories, which I feel like also does an injustice. But I feel like another thing that's happening on the opposite side of the spectrum is that um, missionaries are being portrayed as these really reckless, uninformed people who just have a gospel in their heart and they just want to sing. Yeah, mm-hmm. with no regard for safety and well-being or some regard, like good intention, but no actual resources. Um, and that's kind of the narrative that's being painted about missionaries, especially Western, specifically American missionaries so james like with your experience i'd really like to see like how you would um i don't know entertain that thought that that narrative is kind of being passed along right now yeah so just for everyone listening um so just a little tiny bit about my background so when i first lived overseas it was for a year um, in cameron africa back in 1997 um, at a hospital that had been built in the extreme north province um, and the people that were living there when I'd gone there had been there since like the late 80s. Um, the hospital is still around to this day. So my experience through – we'll just use the word missions. My experience with missions was that you made a decision to go over to a place and dedicate yourself to that. So my initial experience with missions was that like you spent time living with the people you were with, understanding their culture um, with – the framework of mind that you are not like a native to their culture and that you need to respect that. Um, So, however, on the flip side, my first experience with people who just went over to do something and ended up making things worse was actually not with Christians. Um, It was with, I remember a group of um, someone who was with like a nonprofit organization like Greenpeace, they had, we were in a really remote village and they got super sick because um, they didn't know how to function in a very rural African environment. Hmm. And 
I remember my interaction with them, but this is, I mean, this is back in 1997. Since then, if you have come back from living in that area and then you watch like movies and things like that, you always see the missionary portrayed as like the high, high water pants white guy with a bald head and glasses who kind of sternly looks at everybody and has complete ignorance of anyone else's culture. And that was like, well, it's not my experience. Um, and the, I remember thinking at a young age, like, oh, like these people are just like, I don't think they know what they're doing uh, because the people I was with could speak the language, they knew the culture, they knew all this stuff, and they were been accepted um, by the people that they were with, not as like members of their culture, but because of what they were doing. Um, and so the hospital that I was living at was really well respected, not just in northern Cameroon, but in Nigeria and Chad um, as well. And people would send. Um, but I mean, on the flip side, comparing it to the article that we read, this group of people that I worked with, they were extremely well trained. Like even after right. my own medical training, these are some of the uh, doctors that I knew and ended up working with later. Some of the smartest people that I've ever, just their resourcefulness, their love of the people they were working with and their medical training. It was impressive, even in right. retrospect. So, Yeah. So um, in my, I saw the article first just by myself in my and here's where I, I first went with it. I went with uh, just just to kind of couple this on to John's questions, I guess. Like my first – I had a maybe a defensive mm-hmm. uh, reaction as a Christian who's – I think I've, I've had my qualms with missions and how it's been done, but generally I'm for it. And so I saw – I saw the article and I was like, hold on, you know, like, I don't know if we have all the right information here. And like, who, you know, I, I had some, I, I kind of, in my own mind, kind of came to this person's defense a little bit. And then I went home and talked to my wife, who is a medical professional as well as a nurse. And she was really struck. And she was like, bothered. She was like, that's not, that's not how you practice, yeah. you know? And, mm. and so, yeah, you've, you've had those experiences and then, I guess coming from your experiences, seeing this article I sent to you, how did yeah. how did it land with you? Yeah, so reading it, I you I can see her, and you know, granted, I don't like we don't, I don't know, know her, her. don't yeah. know her yeah. story, and I want to for myself avoid speaking to her like her heart um, and her, the state of her soul and all that stuff. Same. So, however, just kind of as a category, like I have known people like that where yeah. they and. The people that I've known, like, they genuinely want to help. Agreed, yeah. Um, however, I think there is – putting a name on it is kind of hard, and I, I think there are a bunch of things that kind of cause it. But my first kind of reaction to it, kind of reading – knowing what I know about – because we also, like, you know, have worked in Malawi with um, acutely malnourished kids and taking care of kids who usually in our context in the Western culture – it's not really going to be so much um, – we, we see like poverty-associated acute malnutrition here. But it's mostly – I've seen it from the context of like anorexia where someone puts it onto themselves to not take in ad- adequate calories. So um, – but seeing her do that, like I know she – like you can tell that she genuinely wants to help the people. But like there's this element of – what I sense, and as I'm reading it, I'm like, man, like, you're doing this all wrong. Like, I like part of the article commented on how most of the 
kids, a lot of them died within, like I think they said two days of yeah, when she initiated of, treatment. Of right. Yeah, so that's probably like you can get what's called like refeeding syndrome, and that's it's. It reminded me a lot of if you all saw the last episode of Chernobyl, where they explained. Did anyone, I don't see this. No. No. Oh, God. You but, go watch I'm Chernobyl. glad you did. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, it's sort of like a reactor meltdown. <laughs> yeah, I know um, about Chernobyl, yeah. but yeah. So, yeah, so go watch the last episode of Chernobyl, and that's essentially what refeeding syndrome is when they're It doesn't sound good. It doesn't no, sound positive. It's a meltdown, and then you die. Yeah. Um, so it's so complicated to try and determine, like, you know, what do you – to go over and do something, like, what is adequate preparedness and, like – but. She mentioned at one point – this is one thing that struck me in the article. She mentioned at one point, I'm writing this story to try – and I realize in retrospect that it's a lot of like kind of like my pride. Right. And I was like, aha. See, that's it. So you – there is I think an understanding of like we can save the world. We can do all this stuff and it is – I'm not the greatest fan of like a lot of how we interpret reality through mass media. Um, and so I think it's that idea of she's probably coming from a culture where we are used to two separate realities, the one that we live out and the one that we present um, through the internet. And so she's writing this blog that makes her appear to be someone that she's not. And so I think that's a lot of the problem with some of the people that I've met um, is they're searching to create their identity in these contexts. Yeah. Um, from the people that I met through like – these non these non Christian NGOs who go to do this to this girl who is trying to save kids, in one form or fashion, it's like trying to create your identity and to kind of prove that maybe that you're good enough and that you're doing something meaningful in the world. And the drive to do that can be destructive. And I think that's what I'm seeing when I read the article. So I I looked at a lot of different comments that. You know, I, I didn't try to read them all, but I was just trying to get a, a sense of how people are responding to this, and, and it's all over the map. Yeah. But um, if if you could, you know, I guess let, let's imagine somebody the, – the people who are commenting, look, it's another example of white mm. colonial garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, this is This is just pure stupidity. It all needs to stop. This is evangelical white colonialism. Um, if, if somebody were sitting, if I were sitting in this room and I said that to you from your experience and background, how would you respond to that? Sure. Um, let's see. There are so many different ways that I respond to that. <laughs> um, first of all, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, long story, so I won't go into them, but I mean, just when I hear the phrase like white colonialism and the effects that it can have, especially and like. My context is mostly Africa. I spent some time in Afghanistan, China, and India as well, but most of my time has been spent in sub-Saharan Africa, both east and west. And I have totally seen the effects from non-religious and religious sides of that white colonialism and that like our culture has elements that are superior, and so we're going to make sure that we enforce that culture on you or try to get you to join our culture, like that kind of thing. So like my first response is that like I totally get it. Um, And I see it. However, um, those statements in and of themselves are, to me, are hyperbolic. So they – it's sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I actually had a conversation with someone the other day when I was very shortly. I was in Tanzania 
uh, teaching English back before medical school, and there's a situation where someone was going to be killed. They were a thief. They were going to burn this guy alive, and I tried to intervene. Long story short is that there was a big misunderstanding, and so they decided to burn me alive. Oh, Yeah, it didn't happen. I'm not dead. Um, But the conversation I had with this guy was like, well, why didn't, you know, if things would have been, because the guy ended up living anyway. And he was like, well, why did, you know, if you, why didn't you just not do anything? Because if you had not done anything, then it would have been better. And so I think there's kind of that attitude as well where it's like, okay, so having been in these contexts before where you know that if someone doesn't show up and doesn't intervene, people will suffer and people will die. So not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So the, the complication is how do you determine how to – because if anyone is going religious or not, if anyone's going to go and live in sub-Saharan Africa, they're not doing it for their health. Like they're doing it because they have a moral standard that they're living by that calls them to go to help other people. So and that might be attached to God or yeah, a belief totally. in human rights, right. or yeah, it could be humanism, could be all sorts right. of stuff. Everyone's got their reason; they just like end up there. So, determining how do you? Because I don't think it's wrong to follow your beliefs, and when you're doing it consistently. So, how do you follow your beliefs consistently in a way that is going to help people um, and not harm their culture or make their culture worse or enforce your own culture on them. And I think from the people that I've worked with and from talking to people that have been in missions since probably the mid eighties, that's kind of when that kind of cultural change in mission started, where it went from being kind of the compound mentality where you absorb people into your compound and you kind of make them part of the Western culture versus the sort of going there with the idea of trying your best to incorporate yourself into their culture and understand them and love them in their culture without changing the things that are supposed to stay intact. Because hmm. when you look at the Bible, it's not talking – the gospel should be something that transcends culture. And so one thing that in the context of um, like Explain, culture – Explains that to somebody who doesn't have a sure. biblical oh, yeah, background. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah. So, um, so fundamentally – what the gospel is intending to do, and the gospel being the good news, um, that when God created the world, um, he intended it for a certain purpose, and for it to be good and for it to be beautiful and to bring glory to him. And he wanted mankind to join him in that and participate in that. But through our decisions, we lost that. And then God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins um, and to redeem the world and to bring his kingdom, which basically means that through his sacrifice – he um, set up a way for us to be able to join God again, to be able to see a redeemed world and to participate in that with him. And so, how does that transcend culture? Sure. And what do you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. So originally, so culture in and of itself, when you look at you know how people interact with each other, it's not – and the beliefs that they hold, it's not necessarily immoral or moral. They can be morally neutral or immoral or immoral. Um, some cultures think like I, one culture that I was in in Afghanistan, part of the culture was that honor killings are a good thing. I knew one guy who had killed his sister because she was raped, mm-hmm. and I would not consider that a moral action. Like that's immoral. But the other thing, elements of culture are not – they can be good um, or they can be sort of morally neutral. So what – for the gospel to transcend culture, basically what that means is – for people to um, accept the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did um, and his 
bring the world back into kind of an upright stance where it's bringing glory to God and people are in a relationship of community and love with each other. I don't know many people that would disagree with that being a good thing. Um, and then kind of going back into the structure of the kind of the universe being righted. So um, for people to accept that, it doesn't take away from the – or it shouldn't when it's – I think when it's being done right – it doesn't take away from the good parts of the culture that are supposed to stay. So um, one an example would be sort of back if you went back to follow maybe like the Baptists in the like 1970s or 80s. If they went to an African culture, dance is a big part of African culture. Right. Um, not like – not like dirty dancing, but like, you know, it's like community dancing. They weren't twerking. Right. <laughs> we invented that. <laughs> so like their temptation, probably a lot of people would do this in, back in that day, would be to say, okay, well, all dancing, we don't dance at all. So like – and so you're – we're going to remove that from your culture. And so that – if you're really genuinely looking at scripture, scripture says nothing about that. Like for people to line dance is not like a sin. So – that is something that's beautiful about a culture that would stay. However, in reference to like the culture I lived in in Afghanistan, like they had beautiful parts of their culture. Um, but honor killings obviously is not something that is bringing glory to God. So those things or about – loving your neighbor. Right, or totally, or loving your neighbor. And those things dissolve away in the context of the gospel, loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself in the light of Christ's sacrifice for us. So – those things sort of fall away, and then when you look um, after that, so you can retain and should be able to retain culture um, with just the simple view of exactly just adopting what Christ did and his sacrifice for us. So I think when people are living in that and trying to focus on loving God and loving their neighbor, it should not be destroying culture. Um, it should be highlighting the things about a culture because God in the beginning, I think he is responsible for the beautiful things in culture and the, we are created in his image and the things that we come up with that are good and beautiful are reflections of him. And so those things should not be lost and those yeah. things are elements of culture. And then the culmination at the end of the scriptural narrative sure. is that there is a, a worshiping community of every tribe, tongue, people, right. and nation, meaning their distinctives are still there yeah. at the least. Um, their distinctives are still there. And so that, that, you know, scripturally is a reason to believe that cultures shouldn't be obliterated and, and right. you know, made monolithic or whatever. So mm -hmm. um, another way I've heard that described, uh, and this is kind of a Tim Keller thing, which nobody will be surprised who listens that, you know, <laughs> that's where I got it. But, um, but a simple way he puts it is that the gospel does not fully affirm or fully uh, condemn any culture. It, it affirms beautiful things in every culture and condemns evil within every culture. So the minute you think that you're in the culture that has it all right, well, you you don't see it. Right. Um, and and if and if you think another culture is just ought to be fully condemned and, and turned into yours, you you don't understand it. Um, but it but you so if you want to know God and a God that could be a God over all people and the whole world and every culture, look for one who will affirm something in all of the nooks and crannies of creation, um, and one who will also um, say no to every right. nook and cranny of creation to some degree. And I think, I mean, I, I look and I I think to the, the folks who say this is a white evangelical thing, 
yeah, I think the, some of the same mistakes have been made by the Peace Corps and and so on and so forth. And um, and I, you know, I would say like we, like you said, we all are going in with some kind of moral code we're trying to enforce. The question is whose, right? And so if you're with the Peace Corps, you're enforcing the moral code of the West, mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, that's scary. Um, and then, but then you can enforce the moral code of God with a Western layer over yeah. it, and you need to be really careful with that too. That's so, why I think it's important that, um, as Christians who like hear these concerns and criticisms from the NPR and from mm-hmm. the comment sections, which I'm sure were, you know, pretty uh, pretty aggressively against what yeah, this lady for did sure. for for good totally. reason. For yeah, good reason, right. um, we recognize that like you know, we should be resisting this idea of colonialism because it absolutely is a mindset that people carry here in the West and here in America. Like I've, I've talked to people who told me that the culture of their church was the gospel. And I'm like, look, the gospel is a great thing to center your church experience around. But if you don't think that there's like a culture in the style of, you know, attire that your church has and the music that you guys sing and, you know, a million other factors and things things about you, like you're, you're delusional. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a culture where, um, and not to try and say this in a way that doesn't slide any particular culture, but (laughs) I grew up in a culture where, um, politics and religion were closely intertwined and your ability to distinguish those two things almost became, it took growing up into adulthood to see that those two things were actually separate and influencing how I thought about my own culture. So like when I, now when I go overseas, Part of the exercise is how do I tease out what things my prejudices are about a particular culture? Is it is what they're doing genuinely something that is out of sync with loving their neighbor and loving God? Or is it something that I'm just not comfortable with because uh, – I'm thinking of all these different examples uh, – all these – different things that I've just adopted because I live in a culture where um, it is – you don't dance when, you know, when Christians don't dance and they don't uh, – they just, I guess, are joyless, it seems like, when I, in <laughs> retrospect. Or like, you know, people wear clothes all the time. Like that's something that's, you know, important in our culture. Um, and That's that's another funny one. By the way, I've, yeah. I've thought about this because I thought a lot of the the – I mean real like – you know, documentaries and and whatnot. Like you see, one of the big things the Westerners brought was mm-hmm. like full on clothing. Totally. And it seems like the biblical problem is lust. And I'm going, I don't think any of these tribes, yeah. you know, where the women didn't wear tops, were the men walking around going, "Whoa, you know, yeah, look at those." I think I think they weren't because that was the norm, and we didn't get to the the people who went in there didn't get to the heart of the question of what causes lust. It might have been. The paint in which you, you know, dressed yourself for mm-hmm. the for the celebration that caused lust, and we we didn't look deep enough. We just went, here's our Western solution for lust. Yeah, here put it on is. clothes. Put on clothes. Mm-hmm. And worked we really well for us, I think. Uh, sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Two yeah. examples as as you say that. So when I lived in Cameroon, so this was around when I was eleven, and when I was like fifteen. I remember we had a market outside the village we lived in, and every Friday, people from the big city would bring in their wares and kind of line them up. And this one guy lined up – he lined up pictures that were like pornographic and he of like topless women. And then he lined up pictures of Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee, and <laughs> no one cared about uh-huh. the topless people. 
they were all gathered around the Bruce Lee picture, and they were all like kicking each other and karate chopping and stuff. <laughs> and like, I remember being fascinated by that. And then on similar note, kind of to what you're talking about and what a culture perceives um, as sin as well. So I remember going and visiting people in their houses, and then like. You know, everyone's got babies running around, and then I remember there was a time where all the babies kind of came up, and all the moms just, like, whipped all their tops off and started, like, breastfeeding their babies. And as an 11-year-old, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's wild. <laughs> I'm going to just look at the sky and not look at any human being and just, like, focus away. However, everyone had their ankles covered uh-huh. because if you exposed a certain portion of your leg, that was, like, a big yep. deal. Yep. Um, whereas for us, it was like, yeah, you can wear, like, shorts, and that's fine. But, like, if you wore shorts, even for an 11, 12, 13-year-old, if I wore shorts, for a guy, they'd look at you and be like, well, you're not a man. Um, adults wear pants. And then for a woman in that culture, it was like if you wore shorts, it was – if you were, you could be a little girl and do that. But if you were an adult and you did that, that was, like, really taboo. So once again, it's one of those things of, like, you have to know the culture you're going into right. and distinguish what is what am I bringing in from my own culture and when I go down to the bare bones of scripture and what – how do I love God and how do I love others, what actually is falling into that and out of that? So. Right. And if the goal is is to not like – let's say like lust after someone in your heart or to – for there to be adultery that, or whatever, the question would be what leads to that here? Um, and mm-hmm. so if uh, – it's there's always kind of a forbidden fruit question. And so I, I suppose if some of those women showed their ankles, that might have been like – that might have been oh, yeah. a, a troublesome thing, right? And mm-hmm. so then if that's causing the trouble in their heart, we need to respect that. Right. Um, right. And, and I, I, I feel like it's just – it's not um, a, too much engagement. It's not enough that leads to some of these problems. Totally. It's not going deep enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those who would say you shouldn't engage at all, it would be mm, – well, then how are we ever going to do cross-cultural work? Yeah. What we have to do is we ha- have to go – deep. We have to understand. We have to really know a culture. And that takes work, and that'll take mm-hmm. some fumbling along. Now, so that's the, that's like the response to somebody who'd say the, the colonialist, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But now, to the to the me, the person that read it and went, hold on, come on. Like, just in my, my gut reaction was like, she probably didn't mean to do any harm. She mm-hmm. was trying to help. She's a good Christian girl who went over there to help. And yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people, and and, and I've you know a lot of people I think commented or, or thought, well, some of those kids were going to die anyway. At least mm. she tried. At least she saved some. So respond to maybe as a as a medical professional, uh, especially and a Christian. Um, mm. How how would you respond to that? Yeah. So from a medical perspective, it's interesting because like as I'm like reading the article and they're like, you know, you shouldn't do X Y Z with like without a trained medical professional there. If there are different categories for how you think about how you're going to intervene in an emergency situation, like so everything from like triage protocol, so like if there was like a bomb that went off, like how do you treat people? And if I'm not going to be able to save everyone, some you know, some people have the attitude if you can't save everyone, you shouldn't do anything. Well, I'm just going to let people die. So there's all this so from triage protocol to like emergency room protocol to inpatient protocol and different things. So and like putting myself into the position as I'm reading the article, like, what would I do? And one of the things that actually came to my mind as I was reading it was there – part of it is – and I experienced this in the ER – is that there's a 
compared to, you know, talking to doctors from like 30 or 40 years ago, the type of the respect that people have for the education that goes into medicine is deteriorating. Right. So I'll have conversations with people and like, for instance, like, don't get me started on like the vaccine stuff. Right. Like if I have conversations with people uh, <laughs> and like, I'm like, okay, well, this is what, like, this is what this treatment is going to do. And they're like, well, I Googled this and like. Your Google is not equal to my ten plus years of advanced postdoctorate degree study. Like that's that's not the same thing. Which is which is what people are frustrated about um, it with this. Totally. Late, but yeah. but like, I mean, some of the same folks might be googling other things and saying medical professionals are because that was the extent of this lady's medical experience, right? She was Google. just googling she mentioned that Google. Things. Yeah. Well, we don't. I, I guess I don't know the. I don't think there was experience. There was experience in working alongside potential medical professionals yeah, in her totally. organization. There was that. Right. She probably learned some stuff from that, but then she was on her own a lot. Mm-hmm. It seemed, and from yeah. her her report, she Googled right. stuff to try to figure it out. Then called her nurse friend. Yeah. Well, my or, my yeah. point is that I think that like there is an under there's a currently a milieu that like. As long as I can look stuff up, I can know the exact same things, and so I can go and. And this you're do saying something. is culture wide. This isn't. This I, might yeah. be worldwide. Totally. Because yeah. of the amount of information available. Right. Yeah. I mean, because technically, I mean, going through medical school, when you don't know something, you Google it. Like anyone can have access to all this information, and so there's this. There's a misleading in that that you can. This kind of gives you a false sense of safety that. I can look the stuff up and I can I can do kind of the same stuff and I'll be okay because what, what really do doctors know because they're wrong all the time about all this other stuff. Right. So th- attitudes like that that I think can give someone the ability to – instead of saying, wow, like people that studied for a really long time are the ones that should be doing this because this is really right. complicated stuff. Um Maybe in the past they'd be more likely to say that as compared right. to now. Agreed, um, and that's yeah. just anecdotal from my experience. So, so I think that, I think that was one thing I got from the article. Yeah. I, I mean, I think just to, I think that's in all the professions yeah, is happening, totally. but but a, in a very um, profoundly dangerous way when it comes to, uh, to health. To health. Yeah. Yep, because mm-hmm. I would imagine like because I could Google, you know, oh, these are my symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like there's a lot of context that all of these things are going to fit into yeah. that only a doctor could discern yeah. that I really couldn't And do the myself. thing that would happen next if I were to mistreat right. and then how to respond, like yeah. that, all that sort of stuff too. Yeah. Right. And then we kind of, I briefly rambled on about this before the podcast started. So like, yeah, like the phosphate stuff. Right. So like you, unless you know that, so that's the thing that kind of is analogous to Chernobyl um, was like, in my opinion, um, was that like, so if you starve someone, they don't have a lot of phosphate in their blood and then you give them food and then they try and take the phosphate that's in their blood and incorporate it into like these molecules to make energy. I'm like, so you can actually, when you refeed someone, if you do it too quickly or too much and all the stuff that goes into it, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to monitor it, you can make their malnutrition worse and kill them. Right. And that's probably what's going on with like a lot of the subset of these kids that were dying early on yeah. um, with the treatment. So if you don't know what labs to order, how to interpret the labs, and that's a big deal that I've found. So now a lot of patients are getting access to like being able to see their labs, which in one way is good. You should have access to your medical information. But if you don't know how to interpret data, 
you can do all sorts of stuff with data. Right. And so you need to be able to interpret the labs, know what labs to order, and then know how to intervene on the findings that you interpret. And like that is not something you get from WebMD. Because like, so. correct me if I'm wrong. My the most my most uh, medical experience is usually like Scrubs mm. and like watching a Love couple scrubs. season scrubs. of. Uh, Have you seen House? House, yeah, yeah, I did watch all of House. A little Grey's Anatomy <laughs> with my mom back <laughs> before it was good, uh, right before George died. Well, then that's when. Yeah. I listen um, to my <laughs> wife's side of the family talking, and I what tends to happen is I. <laughs> I just get completely uh, overwhelmed. But <laughs> I go, it sure yeah. sounds like you all know what you're talking about. But I feel like yeah, I hope so. with a yeah. lot of cases, like even even something fairly routine, there's a number of – like it's not just one doctor who's handling things. There's a lot of specialists who are running their own – you know, screenings and labs and interpreting this and that. So even if she was like, you know, let's say a, a licensed doctor, like that doesn't mean that she'd still be capable of fully totally. caring. She for might all not these be things. acting out of her specialty. Right. right. And uh, so even then, it would be the ideal thing, especially in an organization that's been around this long, would have been to have developed a diverse team of specialists yeah, totally. who were working together and they didn't even ever get to the point of having. A special. There's, there's obviously in the missions conversation world. There's interesting stuff here about uh, denominations and connectivity and responsibility and um, you know funding things that don't mm -hmm. have oversight mm -hmm. and there's all sorts of stuff and and I think I would want to say look there are Christians who are engaging in really well overseen and organized totally. work in which they're doing things that the you know have saved so many lives because of the great work. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, there, there are people through the Christian faith and a sense that God said so, um, which is kind of what this girl's, or lady's, um, yeah. initial push to do it were, that don't have that kind of oversight, and people are sending them money because it's a sweet story, mm. and both are happening. And so, like you said, with ba throwing the baby out with the bathwater, um, you know, you you got to be careful with that. But I think we as a Christian community need to own that we have um, been careless. Totally. Mm -hmm. um, and then – and I think other people need to to, uh, to see, too, that we've also, as, as a Christian community, really, like, done some awesome work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it has to go with the kind of the balance of knowledge versus wisdom. Like, this girl may have Google and get – you know, she may be able to have access to knowledge, but she doesn't have wisdom with how to apply the knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing in terms of just missiology, like what are you doing as a – like my big thing nowadays is like short-term missions, like which is super precarious. Yep. Because you can totally do that poorly. And you can – I've seen it done really poorly, and I've seen it done really well. Yep. And that comes from just, you know – I collectively years of experience going to different cultures and doing this stuff. Not like I – I mean comparatively to like if I took 10 people from the street, I probably know more about that kind of stuff than like the average person, but I'm not an expert. But it comes from just having seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of how to do like short-term missions and long-term missions. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think it's just something that needs to be talked about. You know, it's something – like missions in general, like we have our mandate. Like we know what we're supposed to do. But that's knowledge. How right. you actually do it is wisdom. So yeah, I remember when I first took uh, back in the day the perspectives yeah. you know, class, which I know you like, yeah. um, and and learned the amount of you know years and years and years of preparation that some folks are mm -hmm. putting in, even just to 
enter a culture, like yeah. the years of work mm-hmm. just to do that. And then like, uh, you know, and then internet, now it's time to learn mm-hmm. these people and their, and their particular set of situations. And a lot of the best ones is a work of a lifetime. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think one of the things that happened in maybe the 80s and 90s and kind of the explosion of the missions movement is people wanted to jump in and do something mm-hmm. cool and yeah. skip all that. Totally. And, uh, and what I'm glad, I'm glad for the microscope that's come out so that we can pare that down, but I also don't want to see us um, abandon the mm-hmm. missionary cause. Yeah. I yeah. think another one of those stereotypes that I kind of mentioned earlier is that it's like, uh, geez, I think it was even mentioned in the NPR article where it's like, you know, uh, a college kid who wants to travel just goes right. on missions. Like, they, you know, hey, yeah. you want to spend a summer in Croatia? Hey, you know, come out here, hang out with a church, yeah. build a, I don't know, school and then fly back and nothing. Have really great, have great essential. mushy feelings. And yeah. There's, and there's yeah. been a ton of that. And a lot of my friends and I had those feelings too, totally. frankly, like, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, and I'm looking back at that and going, Ooh, not good. Mm-hmm. Right. But that doesn't mean that some people haven't really put in the work right. and yeah. applied wisdom and done a great job. Yeah. And in some I've seen some people do like I don't know how in depth their research is, but some people studied it and like in the so like one of the arguments for like short term missions is like, okay, you bring people over exposure. Exposure mm-hmm. and then they consider long term missions and they've kinda like studied that a little bit and some people have said like, well maybe it it actually doesn't really pan out. Like, the amount of people that go over doesn't equal the amount of, like, your investment in the front end doesn't equal your return in the back end. Um, However, but on, like, the flip side of that, so I had a girl that went with me to China for a trip, and she had never really done anything like that before, and part, this is post-perspectives as well, so, like, my thoughts as I'm bringing people on the short-term trip is what are they going to do with this after the trip is done? And that really needs to be on the forefront of your mind when you're doing this. And we kind of focused on that on the trip. Like what we're doing now is good and we're needed by the people who are here long-term. So we know we're in the right context. So when we go back, what are we actually going to do with this? And then we kind of focus on that. And I remember when the trip was done, she was like, oh my gosh, like this is actually important stuff. And she's not overseas right now. But she is now a campus missionary and, like, took what she had gotten from that and took it into becoming a campus ministry um, leader. Mm. And then she herself has done all these different trips now through her her campus. And then people that she's taken on that trip have – now they are full-time overseas in these different cultures doing all this stuff. And it's really cool to be able to be like, okay, I did one short-term trip. And if you're focusing on the well-being of the people that are on the trip spiritually – and you're doing this in the right context, I really have seen like multiplicative effects from that. Like these guys are in places that I have never been in my life and probably will never go. So I think, yes, there's a lot of downsides to doing. And I totally have been in that camp of like, I want to go do something good for a week. And then (laughs) I'm going to, we're going to like go cross the border and we're going to paint faces and kick around a soccer ball and sing some songs we're going to smile and we're going to like hold – which loving children is beautiful. Like I'm a pediatrician. Like I think it's great. Children are awesome. However, then all of a sudden they pack up on the bus and they wave goodbye and then like what – Now what? What's, yeah, like what's going to happen to these people? I was on the email list for – I don't know if – I probably shouldn't name this organization because – Yeah, shut. just call it. Call it out? 
No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Call us something else. <laughs> is what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of condemning already because the nature of it. If anyone who knows it, they'll they'll know exactly as soon as I describe it. But it's the one where you basically spend like a week in one place and then you hop to the next place and you oh, go around sure. the yeah, world yeah. in like nine months or something. I clicked remove or unsubscribe about eight times and they kept sending me emails and like they've the got more like more... twenty lists they put you on that first time. Oh, you got to get off it. all I the lists. It. The same. Francisco Giants did that to me too. I, I can't get rid of them. I, when I go to one game, I can't get just rid can't of them. Can't shake them off. Yeah, they just really the want me to go. That's terrible. Right. Yeah. Did you wait? Did you go? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. But they they I was at a I was in a campus ministry where they came to give their their little talk and they had some of their staffers come and explain how great it was and yeah. I think I knew somebody who did end up going. Yeah, I've known a few people that did that. Yeah, it sounds super appealing. Same. It sounds oh, fun, it's like it's like it's like yeah. if you don't want to if you want to be a super Christian. And you kind of want to be on a reality TV show. Oh, it's sort of like getting the best of both worlds. Yeah, and it sounds pretty dirty and disgusting when you think of it that way. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I uh, we had a, a guest speaker at seminary last year from who was a missionary from Brazil who would do a lot of missions work with like the indigenous tribes there and whatnot. And he had a quote that really stuck out to me where somebody asked him what the most frustrating thing about missionaries, specifically from the West, um, like what the most frustrating thing about these missionaries are. And he said, they're really good at answering questions that nobody's asking. And I just, I, that quote is so like just phenomenal because it's, Mm. it's true. Like, um, this is, this is the spirit of that like colonial imperialistic like missions that we're trying so hard to resist. It's, I'm going to show up, I'm going to tell you really what you should care about hmm. and I'm not going yeah, to, you know, try to conform or, you know, blend in or adapt with your culture at all. I'm going to tell you what's what I'm going to, you know, build you a hospital. <laughs> And then I'm gonna balance in in six yeah, weeks. Totally. And uh, I I love that there are people who are really taking missions like a lot more seriously than that, and just not disrespecting people by just showing up in their land and telling them what to do. Yeah, and that's one thing that like, yeah. So my kind of my if to explain how my approach is to like long term missions versus short term missions in like a cheap sentence, um, it is really the long term missionaries are the people focusing on how do I love this culture. And then um, the short-term missionaries really need to be focusing on how do I support the long-term yeah. missionaries? Yeah. And oh, so like Agreed. a lot of yeah. long-term missionaries that I know, if you talk to them about short-termers, they just like roll their eyes and grumble <laughs> and they're like – Like they don't really like them because they come in. They have to babysit them the whole time. These it takes don't. a lot more work yeah. to deal totally. with them. And resources too. Yeah. And you've got to feed them. You've got totally. to housing and all that. When the short-termers leave – the long-termers often are like, okay, now I can actually get back to the work that I'm doing. And I have to like take a week off to recover yeah, from that. Yeah, totally. And the so short-termers awesome. go home going like, that was awesome. Yeah, I yeah. went and I just I just had such a great experience. <laughs> My <laughs> heart's just touched and I know. I feel like Moses. I'm going to blog. Yeah, I'm going to blog about it. It's got great. this glow about my face. Like, yeah. Oh, man. Just, I'm just broken. I'm just so broken <laughs> right now. Yeah, just, just Jesus did a lot of good stuff in me. So now I'm going to oh, keep going and just... 
marry someone rich. I don't know what, who this person is in my head that's talking. But I don't. Well, now be... that we've uh, thoroughly <laughs> insulted them, it's probably time to just end this podcast before it gets yeah. worse. Are and we we've had a solid amount of time talking. Should we do a quick shout out to the people who use their Facebook profile pictures with a bunch of African kids? Too? Dude, I have one of them. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no! I'm sorry, James. But don't worry, I was there supporting the long termers. Oh, there okay. we go. It's okay, See, if I do as that. long as you're doing it right, you can post whatever pictures you want. Totally. No, it was good. All right. Well, oh, thanks man. everybody for joining us. I hope this was helpful. James, thanks for being on. Yeah, and John, yeah, I love that. It's fun. Of course. Eric, uh, like to say that we missed you, but I, I forgot you weren't here, man. And just <laughs> these guys are so great. Wish you, wish you could have been here with us for real. Though. So, uh, thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. All right.